With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. Chat GPT turns one, a look back at a year of transformation and oh, so much drama. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. It's Friday, which means it's time for our Week in Review, Marketplace Tech Bites. On the show today, apologies, profanity, and accusations of blackmail. It's just another week in the life of Elon Musk. Plus, ultra-fast fashion retailer Shein files confidentially for an IPO. How the brand is bolstering its own image in response to backlash over its labor practices. But first, a year ago this week, OpenAI released ChatGPT to the public. Within five days, the chatbot had a million users. It now has 100 million weekly active users. From holiday menus to college essays to wedding vows, ChatGPT has been there. Seriously, though, wedding vows? That is not cool. An early criticism of ChatGPT was its pesky habit of churning out inaccurate results. Just how far has ChatGPT come in a year? Natasha Mascarenas of The Information joined me to explain. Part of the magic of ChatGPT is that it naturally will get better as time goes on. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's still good at math or will not continue to have some sort of inaccurate information um, when you ask it prompts. And so I personally still use it directionally. But part of generative AI is that it can learn from itself. And so you can actually tell it hey, um, that was actually wrong. Can you rewrite that and this time be more accurate or pull from this source? Um, and so I, I would say it has to technically um, be be better than when it first started. Yeah, getting better all the time. Well, longtime tech analyst Gene Munster said ChatGPT's release marks the first time a non-techie person has been able to interact with AI is there any disputing the idea that the release of this product has been one of those generational inflection points in tech? I I think the reason, like like you're saying, the reason it caught on was it didn't take a huge leap or even more than a few clicks to use the platform and see its impact. And so to me, accessibility is transformation. And so 100% feels once in a lifetime. Of course, 
lots of debates on the AI itself and how transformational we will see ChatGPT be used day to day in our in our jobs and our personal lives. But just in terms of the interactions and the fluency that people are having around AI, I feel like we can confidently say it was a generational shift. At least that's what investors are saying when they're throwing lots of money into startups building on top of it too. Yeah. Well, it certainly feels like it on the user end as well. Let's talk about the drama in the C-suite at OpenAI, shall we? Um, Wednesday night, Sam Altman, who is back as CEO, he sends this memo to OpenAI workers. There is so much in this memo, but what you flagged, and I think rightly so, is Microsoft with its 49% stake in OpenAI is not getting a seat on this board. What is their role going to look like going forward? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's the story that keeps on giving. When it comes to Microsoft, it's a good reminder that it is the biggest shareholder in OpenAI. It has more than a 49% stake in its profits. And when Sam Altman was originally removed, all eyes were on Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella asking, why didn't you know about this? And how are you going to make a change? With completely as, blindsided, completely <laughs> blindsided, this, this coup, completely blindsided. Um, and you know, it, it, it then led to him spending, you know, working through the weekend, like a lot of us were negotiating behind the scenes. And he was a big figure in getting Altman back, according to our reporting. When it comes to Microsoft's current role at OpenAI, last night we reported that they are going to have a non-voting observer seat on the board, which means, again, not voting. So it won't be able to vote on matters, but it will be privy to information, which is more than it had before. OpenAI is also looking to still hire more board members. And so far, a few people have been considered Yahoo, former CEO Marissa Mayer, Laureen Powell Jobs. And so I do think things are still in flux, like you're saying. Um, and Microsoft, we have, have at least some clarity. They will have some sort of perspective um, and eye on the board, which is more than we could have said a week ago. Yeah. And that is a stated task for this company now, finding a diverse set of board members for what is right now a very undiverse slate of directors. Uh, well, on to our next story, the ultra fast fashion retailer Shein confidentially filing for an IPO this week. Explain for the non-teens and young adults that might not be familiar with Shein, what is the story with this company and how did they get to this $66 billion valuation that's being reported? This company has hundreds of millions of customers around the world. You know, largely, I would say thanks to TikToks and Instagrams. It's a place you can go for fast fashion at cheap prices, sometimes cheaper than Amazon, sometimes cheaper than other companies. I mean, it bought a stake in Forever 21 recently. And so you can think of Shein as pretty synonymous with the fast fashion movement. And in a world that still is has a lot of consumption, a lot of trend-based fashion, um, it, it, it has gotten a valuation that matches, I think, the fervor around it. That said, it's not a non-controversial company. I mean, it's had a ton of controversies over the past few years, everything from claims that it used forced labor to manufacture its products to, you know, stealing designs of smaller designers. Um, as, as we hear that it's eyeing an IPO, it's doing everything one would expect, which is it's trying to clean up its act. It's trying to explain that it is doing better. It actually relocated its HQ last year to Singapore, which I would see as trying to address some of the stress and scrutiny that China-based businesses or businesses with roots to China are getting from the U.S. right now. And so we are starting to see it prepare. And so I wasn't surprised at all when I saw the news that it had confidentially filed for IPO. 
We'll be right back with more of Marketplace Tech Bytes Week in Review with Natasha Mascarenas, reporter for The Information. You're listening to Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. We're back with Natasha Mascarenas, reporter for The Information. Finally, we enter the not safe for work portion of this week's Marketplace Tech Bites. Elon Musk with some choice words for advertisers fleeing X after he endorsed an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory on the platform. GFY um, is as far as I will go in terms of summarizing his comments. This was in an interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin uh, during the Deal Book Summit on Wednesday night. Natasha, um, you know, first impressions on what we witnessed that evening. I mean, great TV, first and foremost, which maybe <laughs> we're not surprised by based on the Twitter feed we see from Elon Musk at all times. He always has something to say. Um, and so my first impressions of that interview were I was a little shocked by how direct he went, especially with Linda Yaccarino, an advertising executive known for her advertising chops in the audience. But maybe that's naive of me to think that I should be surprised. Um, you know, to me, the stakes, the stakes are high, right? I mean, the New York Times reported that more than 100 brands have halted their ads and the company's at risk of, of losing $75 million by the end of the year after a recent Elon Musk tweet that called an anti-Semitic post, quote, the actual truth. And so the money is definitely leaving in a lot of ways. And so to have him double down on specifically advertisers leaving um, and being nonchalant about it or explicit about it, rather, um, to me felt like a really um, important tension to pay attention to. Yeah, well, Linda Yaccarino uh, in damage control mode after this all went down. As you say, she's in the room and uh, afterwards she tweeted reminding that Elon Musk did apologize for this tweet, but uh, not sure how much traction that's going to get with advertisers. Um, the last Elon Musk tweet that I have seen as of this taping is a reminder about the Tesla Cybertruck deliveries starting this week. Oddly enough, not many people are talking about that, given all the other news that Elon Musk is making, um, which makes me wonder, what do you think all of this, this circus means for the many other companies that are not X that Elon Musk is running? This is such a good question. Um, Andrew Ross Sorkin asked Elon on stage, you know, do you ever regret the purchase of X? You have all these other companies that you have been very intentional about. He pointed to Tesla. He pointed to SpaceX, which we reported had acquired a company for a large sum earlier this week. These companies are doing technical and specific things. X feels almost off-center for what Elon is used to doing. Um, and, you know, Elon didn't say anything, I would say, specific in response to that question. But on, from, from my perspective, him creating a circus around this, I think, just distracts from a lot of, um, a lot of the great work that other companies are doing. Um, and I'm sure X employees um, have a lot to say, too. And so I'm waiting for the book that we see eventually that gets into what it feels like to be there. <laughs> That was Natasha Mascarenas, a reporter at The Information. You can find the full video of this episode of Marketplace Tech Bytes Week in Review on our YouTube channel, Marketplace APM. And subscribe if you haven't already to watch us every Friday. Rosie Hughes produced this episode. Daniel Shin and Jesus Alvarado also produce our show. Gary O'Keefe is our engineer. Daisy Palacios is our senior producer. Kelly Silvera is our executive producer. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. 
We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Khreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.